We've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew and we're now in this little sub-series, What to Expect When You're Expecting. What do we expect while we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? And today's topic is, before Jesus returns, we expect lawlessness to increase. On the toilet wall at a truck stop, somebody had put up one of those Christian tracks. Yeah, like we see in the toilets around here sometimes. And, and, um, and what it said is, if, if God is for us, then who can be against us? To which some wag had sprawled underneath the highway patrol. <laughs> and I guess the hypocrisy that many of us live with is, is we want to be free to do whatever we want, but it's not so good when everybody else does whatever they want. Um, there are laws in our nation that we have to abide by, There's also God's law, which we should also follow. And when we don't, this is what's called lawlessness. And Jesus said to expect lawlessness to increase. And today I'm dividing this lawlessness up into three different domains. And the first domain is lawlessness in the world. Now, I've heard many times people saying things like, oh, things are getting so bad. Jesus has got to be coming back soon. And and this is an understanding that things will get bad. Lawlessness will increase before Jesus returns. And of course we can see it happening even in the world today. If you look at the crime rates, they're just going up and up and up. That's lawlessness. There's lawlessness when we see how full the prisons are getting. But there's also lawlessness when we see criminals getting off on technicalities. Oh, yeah, there's a, th- this rule here wasn't properly followed when the police were investigating, so even though he's, he's guilty as sin, we're going to let him off. Well, that's lawlessness as well. Lawlessness is also things like disrespect for the teacher. I mean, you walk into some classrooms today and you can see lawlessness is just oozing out of some of the kids. There's just no respect at all. Um, profanities on television, casual sex domestic violence, an epidemic of binge drinking and drunkenness in our society. Um, All of these are examples of lawlessness in society. Um, Basically, it stems from people having a problem with authority. And some of us, and for me, I have to confess that, I have a problem with authority sometimes. And um, that's lawlessness in the world. But to, it, to this, we could actually add national lawlessness. That's the, the, the laws that a country makes sometimes are actually lawlessness. Um, so, for example, our country has given access to abortion on demand. Um, they say they haven't, but they really have. That's legalised infanticide, the, the murdering of unborn children. And yet it's sanctioned by the state. Um, In various states of Australia, they recognise same-sex unions. Um, Then there's government policies that promote greed and selfishness, etc. And all of these things are lawlessness. And to make matters worse, it's state-sanctioned lawlessness. And Jesus said, lawlessness will increase. Does anyone think that lawlessness is not increasing? No. No. No, good answer. It's increasing. A second domain we find lawlessness in is the church. 
having, having the world in the church is a bit like having water in a boat. Um, it, it just doesn't belong there. I used to do a fair bit of canoeing. We still go occasionally if the, if the river's in it. Last time we went down, I think there was five gates open and we were sort of thinking, yeah, five gates is the minimum for good fun in this river because it's so wide. And anyway, when I was young, fellow, I used to do a fair bit of canoeing and the thing is if, you ha- if your paddling partner wasn't very experienced, uh, you'd often take on a bit of water. Um, and, or if like what's happened to me a number of times, we'd take the dog and the dog gets excited and she just loves looking at birds and she's a bit old for this now, but beforehand she, she used to put, put, the, put her paws up on the gunnels and lean out as far as she could looking at the, at the birds on that side and then at about that much time she'd be over that side looking out there and of course the canoe would go... And um, so you'd take on a bit of water. But the thing is, once you've taken on a bit of water once, next time it happens a bit quicker because the canoe's sort of sitting down a bit lower in the water. And every time this happens, you take on more water and more water. And the church is a bit like that. Once the world gets a bit of a foothold in the church, you'll find that it won't be long until the church fills more and more with worldliness. And... This lawlessness that we find in the world starts creeping into the church in increasing quantities. I guess probably one of the most horrific examples that we're hearing a fair bit about at the moment is the abuse of children by clergy. It's awful. But even more overt than that is when a church's doctrine and policy begins to reflect the same lawlessness that you find in the world like the dumping of God's moral code in favour of of other things that they decide are right, so like right relationships or whatever. Like what we talked about last week, uh, where interfaith worship begins to happen, bringing other gods in alongside the one true God. Like churches amassing great deals of wealth while the poor starve in their midst. These, to me, are just all examples of lawlessness. You could probably think of plenty more. And Jesus said that lawlessness will increase. Um, And I believe we see that in the church. But today I want to talk to you mainly about a third domain in which we find lawlessness. And I want to bring it home personally to us. And that is lawlessness in the Christian. When you become a Christian, you do not become a law unto yourself. Most Christians have at some point struggled with the tension of law and grace. And if you haven't, you probably need to. You probably need to clarify this in your mind. What is the relationship between law and grace? You see, we are not saved by keeping the law. We're saved by grace. I think I've preached on this enough times. I hope you understand this. We, we aren't saved by keeping the law. If so, none of us could ever be saved because none of us can ever be good enough. We are saved by grace. God forgives us of our sins. So we're not saved by doing good, but we are saved to do good. Okay? We are not saved by keeping the law, but once we are saved, 
then we, we, we should begin to keep the law. Do you see the difference here? you understand that difference? Yeah? It's like saying we don't mop the floor to make it polished. But once it is polished, we might mop the floor to keep it good. You know what I mean? A church minister once told one of his elders that somebody had stolen his bicycle and um, he suspected very strongly that the thief was a member of his very own congregation. Anyway, this minister, very smart, these ministers, he had a cunning plan and he was going to catch this thief out and, and this minister's cunning plan was next Sunday he was going to preach a sermon on the Ten Commandments. And he figured that when he got to the commandment that said, Thou shalt not kill, well, the thief was going to be shamed into returning his bicycle. So, the next Sunday he started his sermon and he got halfway through the Ten Commandments and then he abruptly stopped and he switched to an entirely different sermon. Later on, this elder that he was talking about asked him why he changed his sermon. He said, well, look, when I got to this, Thou shalt not commit adultery, suddenly I remembered where I left my bicycle. Now, that's obviously a joke, but it illustrates to us in an overtop sort of the way how the danger is ever before us that we might pick and choose which ones of God's laws should be kept and which ones shouldn't. In Greek, the Greek word for law is nomos, okay? And lawlessness is anomian. Now, I'm going to throw in a big word at you. You ready for this one? Antinomianism. Now, antinomianism. Now, you don't have to remember the word, but it sounds like somebody who has a problem with gnomes and he goes about people's gardens and breaking them. No. Antinomianism is actually a heresy that has kept popping up in the church century after century, right throughout the age of the church, and still happens today. Antinomianism means being anti-law and it is considered a heresy in the church. Antinomianism denies that God's law in scripture should directly control your life as a Christian. It means, it preaches that, hey, once you're a Christian, you don't have to obey God's law anymore. Now that's called antinomianism and it's considered a heresy by the wider established church, okay? And before Jesus returns, lawlessness will increase. We'll see an increasing number of Christians who disregard God's law. Now, J.I. Packer, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he's a very well-known and respected theologian. Um, And he says that God's law, which we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is one coherent law. Do you agree with that? The Old Testament and the New Testament, the law that we find is one coherent law. I believe this is so. He says it is given to be a code of practice for God's people in every age. You see, God's word doesn't get outdated, does it? And that's why we can read the Old Testament, we can read the New Testament, and where we see God's word, we know, hey, this isn't outdated. This is still relevant for us today. In addition, repentance means resolving henceforth 
to seek God's help in keeping that law. The Holy Spirit is given to empower law keeping and make us more and more like Christ, the archetypal law keeper. Now what that means is none of us can keep the law. Jesus Christ was the first one who could. That's why he was the only one who could be the once and for all perfect sacrifice because nobody else could be pure and holy. Jesus Christ was the first one to be able to do it. And when he sends his Holy Spirit to us, the Holy Spirit inside of us helps us to be able to keep the law. This law keeping is in fact the fulfilling of our human nature and scripture holds out no hope of salvation for any who, whatever their profession of faith, do not seek to turn from sin to righteousness. And this is what comes down with what Melissa was saying is so right. If we don't try to keep the law, there is no hope of salvation. Now some people will argue black and blue. But scripture shows us very clearly that repentance is a key part of being saved. You cannot be saved without repentance. No matter how much faith you say you have, without repentance, without seeking to turn from sin to righteousness, there is no salvation. When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you can then go and do... We're just waiting for that to go. When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you can then go and do whatever you like. Repentance means something. Repentance means that you agree that God's law is good. Right? Now, if you can take that home with you today, that's enough. Repentance means that you agree that God's law is good. If you agree that God's law is good, you'll be broken hearted that in your past you have not kept God's law. And that's why we ask for forgiveness. And that's where the grace of God comes in. And God forgives us of all of our wrongdoings in the past. But if we agree that God's law is good, then with the help of the Holy Spirit, From that point on, we're going to want to try and keep it. Are you really going to have the attitude, yeah, I don't need to keep God's law anymore, if you agree that God's law is good? And that's why repentance is coming to this point where you agree that God's law is good. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, that means Jesus came, in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Okay? So Jesus said before he returns, lawlessness will increase. And I believe we'll see lawlessness increasing in the world, lawlessness increasing in the church and we'll see Christians deciding for themselves how they should live instead of obeying God's law. 
expect to see more and more of it. Um, Getting the relationship between grace and law is just so important for every one of us. You need to know that you are not saved by keeping the law, but you are saved, once you are saved, to keep the law. So where does all this lawlessness come from? Well, it's pretty obvious it doesn't come from God. I think we can say with all certainty, lawlessness does not come from God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 sheds a bit of light on this. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, talking about the return of Jesus, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now that, friends, is the ultimate in lawlessness to set yourself up as God and say I'm God do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawlessness, sorry, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. We sort of touched on this last week where we talked about this abomination that causes desolation. And we will see lawlessness increasing, but before Jesus Christ returns, lawlessness will be personified. The Antichrist will take the place of God and the rule of law will be complete lawlessness. But it doesn't end there. And this is the good news. Remember those old time Western movies? I, just, I, I love the old Westerns. Uh, you know, the kind where the whole town is held at gunpoint and held to ransom by, by the, the, the lawless outlaws that, you know, do whatever they want, they take whatever they want, they kill whoever want they want, they burn down whatever they feel like. There's just this lawless city, this lawless town, sorry. But then in rides a lone stranger into town. He kicks their butt, he's instantly promoted as sheriff, somebody pins a star onto his chest... Uh, he cleans up the whole town uh, all the goodies live happily ever after all the baddies are found in boxes you know those movies eh? does, does anybody else like those old movies eh. I like them lawlessness will increase the man of lawlessness will be given authority but When Jesus Christ returns, there's a new sheriff in town. 
and Antichrist is going to be out. And Jesus Christ and his law of love are going to be in. Jesus Christ is going to put Antichrist not into a box, but into the pit of hell. Christ will kill him, it says, with the breath of his mouth. Now, is that good news? Too right, it's good news. Yep, things are, lawlessness will increase. But when Jesus Christ returns, things are going to be turned around in a really good way. So that was the fifth thing. We we expect lawlessness to increase. I want to throw in now a very quick sixth thing. The sixth thing we expect before Jesus returns is the love of many will grow cold. And the reason I'm tacking this one on to the end of the message on lawlessness is because lawlessness is the cause. It says, because lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. There are two traps that you and I as Christians can very easily fall into. One is lawless love and the other is loveless law. And some Christians will say to you, the message is love, full stop, that's it. All we need to have is love and grace and nothing else matters. They'll say to you, God's law is a thing of the past, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, I think it's pretty clear that that is lawlessness, lawless love. But the other trap that we can easily fall into is that of loveless law. When you stand strong against lawlessness, it's very easy to lose your love. And I'm speaking from experience here, because I've actually had to do a fair bit of it in my time. It's very easy to lose your love when you're standing up against lawlessness. And if you are the victim of lawlessness, if you've had an injustice done to you, it's very easy to lose your love. And that's why Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because he knows that when, lawless, when a lawless act happens to you and, there's, and they get away with it, it's very easy for us to lose our love. Verse 12. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does it mean to be the one who endures to the end? Well, in the context, I think it's talking about, firstly, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As lawlessness increases, hold strong to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I think the second part of this endurance is continuing to follow God's law. As the world around you goes to putty and it all seems squishy and forms into whatever it wants, you stand strong on the rock of Christ and stand firm, keeping God's law yourself. But I think very importantly, the third part of this standing strong, sorry, the third part of this enduring to the end, is to keep your love. Keep your love. 
don't become an old embittered or a young embittered person who stands against the law, against badness and love. Love like Christ loved. Receive the love of God and give it back out again. I think that's all part of this enduring to the end. I think that's probably enough for today. Um, We've spent five weeks now on this series of what to expect when you're expecting. A lot of it's been tough stuff. A lot of it's, what are the things that we've seen so far? Okay, we expect Jesus is going to be a long time coming. We expect trouble, persecution, big trouble before he comes. We expect false Christ and false prophets. We expect this antichrist to come, this unholy desecrating the holy. We expect lawlessness to increase. I've got some good news for you. Next week we're going to be something, seeing something really good that we're expecting to happen before Jesus returns. And I think we're just about there. I think this is well and truly underway. But... Uh, We'll leave that for next week. Any questions?